We may be trapped inside, but the world of sports, technology, and gaming are not failing to entertain us. Hello and welcome to Christian's Corner. This is your host, Christian Millsaps. I want to start off by talking about the OnePlus 8 and 8 Pro, two exciting new devices coming from OnePlus that will be available on the 29th of April. And for the first time, thankfully for me, it will be available on Verizon, which means I'll actually be able to buy one, which is great news because I really need a new phone. So this is definitely the one I'm going to be picking up. Now let's get into the good stuff. I want to start off by talking about the refresh rate that is going to be on their phone. Well, actually both of them. Last year, OnePlus was the first non-gaming phone to introduce a high refresh rate screen, and they put it at 90 hertz. This year, they're doubling up and putting it at 120 for their OnePlus 8 Pro, and for the OnePlus 8, they're just going to keep it at that 90 hertz, but it is a cheaper version of the OnePlus 8 Pro, so that's understandable. Either phone you go with, though, you're getting a great fast, smooth, snappy screen that's a lot better than what most phones are doing with their 60 hertz, which now in 2020, it's seeming that people, well, phone companies rather, are trying to push towards that higher refresh rate. Samsung finally did it. OnePlus has been doing it. We've seen gaming phones like the Razer phone and the Asus ROG phone have also done it in the past. And it's exciting to me because I don't think everybody would care about it, and I don't think a lot of people would even recognize the difference in refresh rate. But it's really exciting because it really does make everything you do on the phone look a lot smoother, even though everything's really just running at the same exact speed. OnePlus also put in a major battery into this new 8 Pro. It's a 5,000 milliamp battery, and it's really big, and you say, that's going to last you all day, but it's probably also to help with that 120 hertz because that's going to eat through battery. And unlike Samsung did with their display, is running at 120 hertz, you can only run at 1080p. OnePlus is going the full Quad HD 1440p with their 120 hertz. So that's going to eat through a lot of battery if you choose to run it that way. So this 5,000 milliamp battery is probably going to be what's an average battery it should last all day a lot of tech youtubers are saying that they can get through their entire day using this phone with 120 hertz refresh rate and the full quad hd experience oneplus also finally landed ip rated water and dust resistance they've never put it on a phone before most likely to save money they finally do it this time which does bump up the oneplus price to $999, which is the most expensive device that they have ever produced. But it's worth it. You finally get that guaranteed water and dust resistance rating, which people have really been asking for in these OnePlus devices. So that'll be a nice little assurance when you're carrying that phone around, and maybe you drop it in a puddle or whatever you do with it. It just gives you some extra security on the go, which is really nice, and for someone who drops their phone a lot, that'll be handy. And the major... I would say criticism of OnePlus devices is, yes, they've always been a budget. People have realized that. But they've been the budget phone that they say competes with a flagship. They call themselves the glorified flagship killers, and they have been over the past. The only part that they've really fallen short is the camera. But this year, that has changed. They really put a lot of effort into it, revamped the cameras, and they were decent coming out of the box for the review units that YouTubers, columnists, were using, the cameras were better, but not great. Thankfully, OnePlus did put out an update, and because 
smartphone photography is mostly software. Anyways, this update vastly improved the camera performance, and the OnePlus is looking very good. Obviously, it's not going to compete with Apple. It's not going to pe- compete with Google, but it looks great. I think they're on par with Samsung at this point, and so if you buy a OnePlus device, this update will already be on the phone. You will get a great camera right out of the box, unlike those who got these units early due to reviews. Now, this is great. It's exciting because I like to take a lot of photos, so knowing that my phone will have a nice camera, not just a great screen, fast charging, long battery life, well, I'll actually be able to take nice photos and not be disappointed every time I have to look at it or show it to someone. The only disappointment with the OnePlus camera for me, though, they added a bunch of great things. On the OnePlus 8, they even have a dedicated macro camera. I like taking close-up photos. I think a macro camera is great. On the OnePlus 8 Pro, though, they go with a wide lens, a normal lens, a telephoto lens, and a fourth lens, which I think is very odd. It's a color filter lens, which is mostly for, well, filters, which I don't Instagram a lot, so I don't really have a use for it. I would have liked to see them put a macro camera in the 8 Pro as well. I think that would be more useful to the average person than a color filter lens. But otherwise, I think they A plus for their cameras. They did a great job of really giving people what they wanted and improving their camera so that way it can compete with what the rest of the phone and the experience of a OnePlus device gives you. Another miss for OnePlus right now is even though their OnePlus 8 is compatible and being sold right now starting today, the 29th, on Verizon, the OnePlus 8 Pro is not only not being sold by Verizon, but it's not even compatible currently with Verizon Network, which is a big miss for OnePlus because a lot more people are going to want to buy this OnePlus 8 Pro, myself included. I don't mind going to OnePlus's website and buying it from them. That's not a big deal. The issue, though, is that right now if I did buy it today, even though it's already out of stock, I wouldn't even be able to use it to its fullest extent. I wouldn't be able to text or call unless I'm connected to Wi-Fi which is a big miss, because if I can't use it going anywhere else, well, what's the point of having the phone? Granted, right now it's not like many people are going out too much, so it might not be that big of a deal right now. It's rumored that by June it should be completely compatible with Verizon's network, which is not that long of a wait, it's pretty much May anyways, so that is fine. But it is a miss, and I wish that Verizon and OnePlus would have worked together a little bit better, considering they're already working together to sell a phone on Verizon's network. Kind of odd, but oh well. Overall, though, I think this phone is A+. I think OnePlus did a great job in their continuing to build on their brand and really market themselves in all parts of the world. And I think they're going to continue to grow in the United States as more people start to be able to more easily get their hands on their devices, learn what OnePlus is about, and enjoy the overall experience that they give you. From the OS that they give you, Oxygen OS, by far the best OS on a smartphone. I know a lot of Apple and iOS users will disagree completely, but if you look at it and compare it to iOS, its experience is the closest thing you're going to get on Android to iOS. It's very, very simple. It's very, very easy. It's a clean look. I love it. It's perfect. OnePlus also is all about being fast with their refresh rate and just in general. They pack tons of RAM into their phone and the OnePlus 8 Pro, its base RAM is going to be 8 gigabytes. That's a lot. That's more than the iPhone 11 Pro Max as well as 
they charge insanely fast. You can get to half a charge in about 25 minutes. That battery will also last you quite a long time because it's 5,000 milliamp hours. It's an amazing phone. Their cameras are finally up to par with the rest of the phones that they're competing with. The price has risen, but I don't think that's a big deal, especially considering $999 is kind of on the cheaper end of where expensive fart fart phones expensive smartphones are headed right now so it's kind of weird to say but a thousand dollars not that expensive great job by oneplus excited to get my hands on this phone when it actually does get back in stock which is hopefully soon and hopefully verizon and oneplus do sort out their differences so that the oneplus 8 pro can be compatible with the, their network and i can enjoy the phone now to the world of sports even though games are not being played right now, we're still getting a lot of exciting news. The NFL draft just happened. It was the most viewed draft ever. 55 million people tuned in to watch each round of the draft. I watched a little bit, but mostly followed along on Twitter and ESPN. But before I get to the draft, I'm going to talk about something that excites me way more. Rob Gronkowski is finally coming back to the NFL, and he's going to rejoin Tom Brady in Tampa Bay to help that team out and make them an even more stacked team talent-wise offensively. I'm so excited to see Gronk back. I am in no way a Patriots fan, no way Tampa Bay fan, but I love Rob Gronkowski. He's a fun guy on and off the field. On the field, I mean, he's a monster. He's hard to handle, but off the field, he just seems like a really cool guy, and I think he makes the NFL not only more exciting, but a lot more fun. It'll be good to have that personality back on the field, and he and Tom Brady, well, we all know that they were a pretty good matchup. Statistically, this duo is a formidable combo that you just do not want to play against. They've won three Super Bowls together. They also are fifth all-time in most touchdown passes between a pairing of a quarterback and receiver. Brady is also more likely to win a game when he is throwing to Rob Gronkowski. His odds increase by over 5%. His completion percentage goes up by 2%. His yards per attempt go up by almost 3 yards. His touchdown percentage, he is 5% more likely to get a touchdown pass when he is throwing to Rob Gronkowski. And his passer rating goes up to 121 from the regular 95 when he is throwing to other receivers. Gronk has been a very key part to a lot of Brady's success in the past decade. Now, Gronk hasn't been the sole reason of Brady's success. He was a winner before Gronk got there. But it's undeniable that Rob Gronkowski made Tom Brady, an already great quarterback, even better. He improves whoever's throwing the ball to him. And when that person throwing the ball to him is one of the greatest, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, that's that's probably a matchup that you want unless you're the opposing defense. Even though all these numbers point to a very healthy relationship that should be able to thrive next season, there are a lot of questions. Rob Gronkowski obviously hasn't played football in over a year. And this isn't the best time to try and decide that you want to get back into football shape and ready for the season. Because, well, there aren't really any off-season practices going on right now because, well, you kind of can't because of the coronavirus. So it'll be a lot harder for Gronkowski 
to not only get back in shape and be able to withstand hits from teammates and also opposing players because he won't be able to get that full-on contact or any practice of the sort. But he also won't be able to really learn the Tampa Bay offense as well as he could being able to play, take passes from Tom Brady, and work with the rest of the team that he will be playing with next season. So that will be a challenge on what is going to be an already hard return. And it's going to be difficult, I imagine, on Tom Brady. Obviously, he can learn the playbook, but he can't build that chemistry. He can't get out there and really truly practice the way he would if the offseason was a normal offseason. So that's one question. The second question is, which Gronkowski are we going to see? Are we going to see the one that made himself a first ballot Hall of Famer? Or are we going to see a very rusty, mentally worn down Gronkowski? The reason he retired is because he was mentally worn down from the Patriot system. Now, the Tampa Bay system is not going to be anywhere like what Bill Belichick did in New England, is continuing to do in New England. But what will Gronkowski be able to do? Again, like I said, he's taken a year off. He is an injury-prone player, and now that he has lost a lot of weight, he'll have to bulk up. He'll have to try and get into shape as best as he can for the season. I don't know what his body will handle. I don't know what his mind will be able to handle, and I don't know how rusty he will be if he'll be able to just week one not miss a beat. It's like he never retired. Or is it going to take him a while to adjust? I just don't know. Luckily for Gronkowski, though, there's a very talented tight end playing right behind him in O.J. Howard. So it's not like Gronkowski is going to have to completely shoulder the offensive load in the passing game like he did typically in New England. He's got plenty of other guys to help him out. Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, to name a few. And then O.J. Howard, like I said, is a very capable tight end that could be starting on pretty much most NFL rosters. And now he's the backup. So Gronk will have more help than he did in New England. No offense to guys like Julian Edelman. So that will help, I think, and improve the longevity of Rob Gronkowski, depending on whether or not he wants to play next season or whatever he decides to do. It's just a concern for me that he is able to stay healthy. And I think Tampa is going to have to work really hard with him to make sure that come week one, he is not only mentally prepared, but physically prepared. He's put on his weight. He's done enough conditioning he's ready to go and he can withstand a 60 minute game now obviously Gronkowski is no regular tight end so the odds of him being able to come week one and play at a high level is probably pretty likely I have a lot of faith in him there are just real concerns that you have to look at his injury issues his mentality what is he going to do how rusty is he going to be by the time week one comes what kind of shape is he going to be in That being said, if he comes week one and can play even 80% of the level that he did before he retired, he's going to be a great asset to the Tampa Bay offense. And obviously, he and Tom Brady have an immense amount of chemistry. I'm not worried about that in the slightest. And I'm just excited to see these two play together again. Yes, I'm excited to see Tom Brady play purely because he's throwing the ball to Rob Gronkowski again. It's a great matchup. It's fun. It makes the NFL better. And I think it's really going to help. And I think it's really needed. I think a guy like Gronkowski, and I think the relationship that he and Brady have, is something that fans, even fans who can't stand Tom Brady, are going to like. 
I think it's good for the NFL, and I think it's important, especially because next season is going to be so key for the NFL. Not only navigating life after and life continuing through coronavirus, but also people really want something that they can just enjoy. And sports are one of those things that people can enjoy universally. And so I think this relationship will be a very big asset to the NFL, and I think it will bring a lot of views which is good from a business standpoint, but more importantly, I think it'll just be fun for all of us to be able to watch that. And I think it'd be, well, it'd be weird, first of all, but it'd be cool to see Tampa really make a deep playoff run. I'm not saying they're going to be a Super Bowl contender. A lot of people think they can. And I know that you're probably like, what are you talking about? Their offense is stacked, correct. But their defense, still a question. It improved vastly over the offseason, not over the offseason, halfway through last season but you also have to look at that offensive line can they protect Brady but I will get to that when we talk about the draft which leads me to my next point obviously the NFL draft I am going to talk about not only key individual picks but also teams that I think did really well and teams that definitely in my opinion missed the mark but first we're going to talk about obviously get it over with the number one pick by the Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Burrow. Everybody knew that that was going to happen. Cincinnati obviously got a very talented quarterback. He had an amazing and very historic season with LSU where he absolutely dominated. And I think it's a good pick. The Bengals offense has a lot of talent in their receiving core, in their running back game, Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard. Then you have A.J. Green, John Ross, Tyler Boyd to throw to. Those are three very talented receivers with different assets. A.J. Green, obviously the physical guy who's going to go up and make a play. John Ross, the guy who's just going to absolutely run by everybody. And Tyler Boyd, a nice mix of the two. Not super fast, not nearly as tall as A.J. Green, but still very large. More of the route runner guy. A very talented receiving core. A very talented offense. And not to mention... They added T. Higgins in the draft as well, which T. Higgins knows what Joe Burrow can do to a team. So I think this will be very good for Joe Burrow. I think he has a lot to work with. The offensive line, questionable. The Bengals, by the start of next season, will have Jonah Williams starting for them, so that'll help in pass protection. And that's good for Cincinnati. They have a very good foundation for what could be a very good team. I don't know whether they're going to make the playoffs or not, I'm just kidding, I highly doubt it. But they have a mix to be a very good team at some point. Granted, I thought their season last year, I don't think they were the second worst team in the league, but their record really surprised me. I was I was surprised that they fell so low and, well, performed so poorly. So I think next season will be a big jump. I think they'll definitely be able to compete with Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Well, Cleveland, I don't think they can win with anybody, but... I think they'll be able to compete with Pittsburgh. The Ravens are by far the best team in that division. The AFC North is owned by them right now. But I think that the Bengals can start working their way up to get to a point where they can compete with that if Joe Burrow really works out. And I think he can. He's a very smart quarterback. He's what you want in an NFL quarterback. He's His decision-making is fantastic. He's a confident guy. He knows where he wants to go with the ball. And he can find his open guy and make plays with his feet if he needs to. I think overall the Bengals had a very good draft. 
I thought the Dolphins also looked really good in the draft. They used the number five overall pick to draft Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama. We know what he's capable of. We know what he can bring to a team. But we also know the injury that he is coming off of. And it's not an easy injury to overcome. And it's also not one that you want to happen again. So I think it'd be smart for them to try and rest him this season. Let him learn. Let him gain some experience mentally and not force him into a game situation just so that he can re-injure his hip and possibly end his entire career. I don't think winning this season is worth that. Right now, for me, you got to rest him, but it's a great pick for the future of the Miami Dolphins. They have a talented quarterback, and if he can do anything like he did in college, he'll be a great pick. They also went and selected Austin Jackson with the 18th pick. They had three first-round picks. They had a pretty big draft. They got Austin Jackson to beef up their offensive line, and they also used the 30th pick on Noah, forgive my pronunciation, Igbenogany. Oh, that was awful, but we're going to go with it. The cornerback from Auburn, very talented guy. will beef up their defense, which they don't have the best selection of cornerbacks. So I think this will be good to help beef up that secondary and help their guys like Jerome Baker and Raekwon McMillan defend the passing game and be able to stop that running game defensively. I think the rest of their draft looked really good. They had quite a bit of picks, two second-round picks, one third, fourth round pick, two fifth round picks, and then a pick in the sixth and seventh round. So yeah, they they stacked their board. They they did a lot, and I think that it was a good draft. They also selected a guard, Robert Hunt, in the second round, defensive tackle out of Alabama, Raquan Davis. You know they're really trying to bulk up that defense, which they already have a decent foundation. I think their middle linebacking core is already really good in Raquan and Jerome Baker, who are very very young guys they have a lot of longevity in this league because they're what 24 25 I think and then the offense is very good you've got a nice receiving core um Devontae Parker is a very talented guy and then you have Mike Gesicki who I think is a very good tight end he has a lot of size so that obviously always helps I think Miami had a stellar draft obviously they had quite a bit of picks so you know you would hope that they pick some talent I think there's a bright future for them. I just do think that they have to be very careful with the way they handle Tua's injury because if he re-injures it, you know, that that might be the end of his career. And that would suck mostly for Tua, but also the Dolphins would have also wasted that number five pick, rush him into game, and then have him get injured and you're not even going to be able to use him. Obviously, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's getting older and isn't, always the best quarterback sometimes he looks amazing and then on the next day well he is not great Josh Roshan on the other hand I mean he shouldn't play at all so you don't have the best options there but at least you have a future then you look at a team like Minnesota who also had a great draft because well they had they had 16 picks that's that's a lot of picks I mean you again like I said with the Dolphins, you would hope that they made a couple good picks there with 16, and they needed to. They got Justin Jefferson, which was a very key pick, especially now that they no longer have Stephon Diggs. So it was good to draft a very, very talented receiver, who I think is definitely going to make a major impact coming in to this Minnesota organization here week one. Jefferson is 
a fairly well-sized player. He's 6'1". He's not the bulkiest 6'1 receiver, but he's still got great size. His vertical is 37.5. His 40-yard dash time is 4'4". So he's a very fast guy. He can jump very well. And as we saw all throughout the season while he was playing with Joe Burrow, he made a lot of impacts. He was able to go up and outrun somebody. He was able to go up and make a play and grab a ball out of the air. He's a very talented, versatile receiver, and I think that was a very big and important draft pick by the Minnesota Vikings, again, to replace Stephon Diggs. They also went out and got Jeff Gladney to replace three corners that they lost in Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, and Mackenzie Alexander. Now, one rookie corner is not going to replace three guys, but it's a good start for Minnesota to try and beef up you know, that secondary. They also went out and selected multiple defensive line players, well, pass rushers, I should say, and people who can stop the run, because we all know that Mike Zimmer really likes to have a very aggressive front seven, so he tried to beef that up, and I thought they had a very good draft. I think that selecting Justin Jefferson and Jeff Gladney were two important picks for the longevity and success of the Minnesota Vikings, not only this season, but in the future. I think they'll grow to be very talented guys for Minnesota if they can continue down this path. I think that the Cowboys were very, very wise in selecting C.D. Lamb to bulk up that wide receiver position and have him as a number two option along with Amari Cooper. I think that'll be a great pick for the Dallas Cowboys. I think he'll be a very good player to fit in with that organization continue to let Ezekiel Elliott carry the load and let Dak Prescott try and do his thing with two very talented receivers. The only question is, though, okay, C.D. Lamb's great, but, you know, Dak Prescott has had his issues in the past. I think he gets overly criticized, to be fair. I think if he played for any other team besides Dallas, he'd probably get a lot more credit for what he does. But because he's a cowboy, you know, he, he gets a little at times, I think, unfair criticism, but I think overall he has warranted most of it. But it's a good pick. C.D. Lamb's, for me, one of the top receivers in the draft. Obviously, he went number 17 overall, but what that guy can do, he's obviously not the fastest, but he has tremendous size, and he can go up and catch passes. He reminds me of a Michael Thomas or a Mike Evans, a guy like that. He's not going to blow past you, but he's going to make some big plays, and he's very good after the catch. So I think that was a tremendous pick by the Cowboys. Now I want to talk about Tampa. As I was talking about them earlier, my biggest concerns with Tampa are what were the what will their defense do? How will they perform? And also can they protect Tom Brady? Because the Tampa line is not the best and Tom Brady is used to having a very good line. But thankfully, they selected Tristan Wirfs, which I thought was a major pick, the offensive tackle out of Iowa, who really impressed people at the combine. I mean, this 6'5", 320-pound offensive tackle ran a 4.85 40-yard dash. That's, that's pretty insane. I mean, that's that's a lot of weight to move that quickly. But I think it's a good pick because, again, you need to beef up that offensive line to make sure that Tom Brady has the time that he needs to find his talented receivers because, again, like I said, Brady is a guy that hasn't had to deal with a lot of pressure in his career. So it would be interesting to see how he handled an offensive line that is going to let a lot of people come at him. For example, New England was ranked 7 in the league 
with allowing sacks at just 28, and they allowed 90 QB hits, whereas Tampa Bay allowed 47 sacks and 106 QB hits. So quite the rise in terms of sacks. 47 compared to 28, that's a 19-sack difference. That's it's pretty bad. And 106 QB hits. Yeah, that's a lot more pressure than what Brady has used to facing in New England. That being said, this is just one season. If you go back and look at 2018-2017, those numbers pretty much the same. So that is a concern for me. So drafting Tristan Wirfs was, I think, a very good pick. If he can pan out and really help protect Brady, I think it'll make Tampa Bay offense a lot more efficient, a lot better if Brady can stand in the pocket and have time to deliver his throws. Because my biggest concern for Tom Brady is, one, at his age, at what point does getting hit really hard by these young 300-pound, very athletic defensive ends and linebackers yeah, at what point does his 43-year-old body just go, okay, I can't take that anymore? And how will he be able to function when he's trying to get out of the pocket and pass the ball on the run? That's not his game. I'm not saying he can't do it, but it's not his game. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not used to having to do that. If he does ha- end up having to do that, I think it will be a lot harder for Tampa Bay to ex- succeed, which is why I'm glad that they drafted Wirfs but it's only one guy. Hopefully they can get it sorted out and Wirfs can make enough of an impact to help Tom Brady really be the best that he can be. There are plenty more great drafts, but the last one I'm going to talk about are the Chiefs, an already stacked team with plenty of weapons offensively, decided that they wanted to get a couple more. Well, one in particular, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, a very good running back out of LSU. He was a big part of their success. Now, Joe Burrow and the passing game got all the praise because, well, I mean, they deserved it. But Edwards Hilaire was a very crucial part to their offense. He was a very, very good, talented running back. He's smaller, but he is stocky. That man can run you over. He can also run by you or cut past you. He's talented, and I think that the Kansas City Chiefs, who were struggling at the running back position, which is weird to say because... I mean, they're just such a talented team, but it's a good pick. I think he's going to make a big impact for that team and allow Patrick Mahomes to have a running back that is a little more reliable, a little more capable. And they also went and selected Lucas Niang, offensive tackle, to beef up their offensive line. I thought they had a very good draft. And an already stacked team is, well, I mean, I don't really have to say much else. I don't see how the Chiefs are going to be a second best team. I think that they could definitely repeat. Now I'm going to get into the weird, bad, and very odd picks. I'm going to start off with Jake from a quarterback who I thought was a third, fourth round talent, dropped all the way to the fifth round to the Buffalo Bills, which is a weird pick for me because they already have their franchise quarterback in Josh Allen. So drafting a younger rookie quarterback, I'd I don't see the point of that. I don't know why they they did that when they could have gotten anybody else. Why draft a rookie quarterback when you've already got a young franchise quarterback on your roster who's obviously going to start? Why, why draft a guy just to sit on the bench the entire season? Weird pick. I thought that Jake Fromm could have gone to a team that actually needed a quarterback or at least wanted somebody who could learn 
and one day become a starter. I thought New England would have been a good fit. I think he could have fit in that Bill Belichick-styled offense where he could have taken from and shaped him into a good quarterback. Maybe not the best, maybe not even a pro bowler, but I think Bill Belichick could have shaped him and really developed him into a guy who could help them win games. Because right now, they literally have nobody. I thought that would have been a good pick. But instead, the Bills picked him up in the fifth round. I felt bad for Fromm that he dropped so low, but was more surprised by the Bills taking him. It was, again, it's a weird pick. I don't know what the decision-making was on that. They don't need him. They're not going to really use him. He's just going to sit on the bench all season. But, oh well, good for Jake Fromm. Now I want to talk about the absolutely worst draft of 2020. My favorite Green Bay Packers. I don't know what we were thinking. We had a terrible draft. Everything that we needed, we just decided, well, let's not pick them. We need a wide receiver, but let's not pick a single wide receiver. Let's instead trade up to get Jordan Love in the first round. Okay, that really frustrated me because, one, I get Aaron Rodgers isn't getting any younger. I understand that. But, one, why Jordan Love? And two, why in the first round? And three, why not a receiver? We need a receiver. We can't just hope that Aaron Rodgers can throw the ball to Devontae Adams for 60 minutes and hope that we win the game. That's not a successful way to win games. It's just not going to work. It didn't work last season. Well, it worked better than I thought it would, but it's not going to work again this year. You can't hope that Devontae Adams is going to get 10 catches and carry the load offensively, you know? You have to throw the ball to other people. We need a wide receiver, but we didn't even take one off the board. It was a very curious draft. I don't know why we did it. We got A.J. Dillon. I'm happy with that pick. The running game, even though it's better than it has been in the past, I think we still need to beef up our running back position. We got a tight end, Josiah, forgive me for butchering his name again, Deguara. And that might have been decent. And what I was happy with is we went out and we selected three offensive linemen. We definitely needed an offensive line. I'm tired of hearing the Packers have a good offensive line. No, we don't. Why do you think Aaron Rodgers is having to run all across the field just to find a receiver? Well, maybe also because our receivers can't get open, but we we didn't take a receiver, so whatever. I honestly don't know what the decision-making was in this draft. Um... We could have probably done anything else. By the time we got to the 26th pick, there were plenty of talented receivers left on the board at that point. Why didn't we take a receiver in the first round? Why did we take Jordan Love, who I don't think is a first-round talent? I think he's actually really overrated. I, I don't think that Jordan Love's the future of the Green Bay Packers. I could be wrong, but I think he's a very raw player. He has potential, but... I don't know if he can be a Aaron Rodgers type guy. I don't think he's going to be the next Patrick Mahomes. So just a weird first round pick. I would have liked to see us take literally any receiver on the board at that point. A.J. Dillon, happy with. Josiah DeGuara, happy with. We haven't had a tremendous tight end since Jermichael Finley, really. We pick up Kamal Martin. I'm okay with that. And then again, John Runyon, Jake Hansen, and Simon Stepaniak, gosh, can't say these names. Stepaniak. We'll go with that. 
happy with those. A guard, a center, and a tackle. Those are all good choices. And I think that will be able to beef up our line because, one, our offensive line is not getting any younger. And, two, again, I don't think it's the best offensive line in the NFL, even though at times guys like Bakhtiari and Bulaga are praised. I think Bakhtiari is a good pick, but I think Bulaga is kind of at the end of his usage at this point. So, I mean, decent draft there, but, again, I just back to Jordan Love. I, I don't know the thought process. I'd love to ask floor why he decided that he wanted Jordan Love right now um, and if I was Aaron Rodgers I'd be pissed he he still doesn't have any weapons besides Devontae Adams and I don't know how that's going to pan out this season I think we're going to have a difficult season unless we can just make it work like we did last year and just throw to Devontae Adams 90% of the game if it works it works but just just really disappointed in that draft but With that being said, we've talked about a lot of good things, and I hope you all have enjoyed. Enjoy quarantine. Hopefully it ends soon, and peace out.